They talk about code, which I had no idea what they're talking about, like JavaScript functions, functional programming. They talk about Lambda or whatever the word it is. It sounded all like, you know, different languages. So I was very overwhelmed. Like right after I, jo- I jumped into this room, I saw this like huge anime poster and all male. And those people are the ones that I have never talked before because I didn't go to science major. So I was very overwhelmed. And also I'm only female. And they didn't know how to talk to women because I'm the only woman, right? So they don't look at me and they start sweating when, when they talk to me. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm actually an alien in this room. Hey, everyone. To those celebrating on 3rd of May, Salama Hari Raya. Hope you're all celebrating with lots of great food, family, and friends. And to everyone here, welcome to episode 81 of the So This My Why podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya, and today's guest is Mai Akiyoshi. Mai is a Silicon Valley engineer from Japan and the co-founder of Curious Eddies, an NFT project that seeks to bring people into the Web3 world through education that is easy to understand, interactive, and cute, as well as shining spotlight on ADHD. What's incredible about Mai's journey is that she's had an unconventional route to Silicon Valley. She first applied to be in a sales position in Japan, but the company then decided arbitrarily to train her to be a software engineer. She ended up working in the most technically demanding department, where she was treated like an alien because she was the only woman there and ended up in a startup because she applied for a position she wasn't qualified for. My shares her struggle with ADHD, becoming the top engineer in her company, and also the inspiration and journey towards building Curious Eddies, how they built their community, determined the products to launch, which include a Quora for Web3 and an interactive trading platform, her favorite NFT, and what to expect moving forward. Now, if you've enjoyed the episodes of this podcast and would like to support in some way, this podcast happens to have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash so this my why. Every little bit does help in the growth of this podcast. And want to learn more about Mai's journey? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. I grew up in Japan. I actually grew up in like a very, very small town. I didn't know anything. I didn't speak any English. And the first time that I went abroad was actually when I was like 20 years old. I was shocked. I'm just completely useless because Japan is like, it's not really connected to anywhere, right? So like if you speak Japanese and if you like live in this country, you don't have any problem. But once you go outside, you're really weird because Japanese people are like weird and like different. I would say I would say weird, but it's very different. I couldn't speak Japanese and there were a lot of things I didn't understand. But because I understand Chinese, there are certain words I can pick up. But it's just yeah. the mannerism. I found myself bowing down every time for everything. And that's just not something you do, right? Exactly. So it's like overly polite. So for example, like when I was in Sweden, I asked like some like Spanish people and like, hey, can I sit? And they're like, well, if I say no, right? Like, why even asking? It was like, oh, okay. So it's not common. Cool. Growing up in Japan, like such a closed place is very interesting. And after going abroad, I really started realizing how close it is and how unflexible it is. For example, after I went to Sweden, I hated job hunting so much because in Japan, everyone has to wear the same thing. Everyone has to go through the same process. There's no other path. So that really felt so bizarre to me and I really didn't want to do it. 
but there are not so many ways that you can do it differently because once you're different, you're a little bit like outside of the society. And I didn't have courage to be like so different. And it's too like restricted place to be. Didn't you always feel when you were growing up in Japan, you didn't quite fit into society? Not until like I graduated from high school because I was born in Kyushu, which is like the small island. At the time, like I have never seen different wars. So I didn't feel like I wanted to be different. But then once I go outside of Japan, I was like, oh, there's a different kind of world and I want to be in that world. So I think I started being a little more different after like starting to be in abroad. And yeah. when were you aware that you had ADHD? When did you realize that, oh, I should go and get diagnosed? Yeah, it's a good question. So it's actually six months ago and I never thought that I had ADHD. There's one time that I was talking to a friend and this friend started talking about his experience. Like, oh, I, I always forget something and I always like uh, have a hard time paying attention to something. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Is, is that not normal? I, I thought this is normal. And then I started like thinking, okay, maybe like my life hasn't been normal. And then like I went to clinic and started talking about my life story. And the clinic said, okay, yeah, that sounds like ADHD. After I heard that, it felt so good because it explained so much, like why I'm so different, why I always resist to like, you know, authorities. Uh, when I was a kid, I always like tried to be against roles and I didn't like school. I didn't like teachers. I can do certain things really well, but I really can't do like certain things well. Everything just like connected. And I was like, wow, that was ADHD. And after I learned that, everything that makes sense, that was great discovery. After that, I really felt like, wow, I'm not failure. Oh, okay, this ADHD that like certain things just hard. So that made me feel a lot more confident in myself. Like, this is okay. This is actually ADHD, not me. <laughs> I want to go back on how you and Ben have embraced ADHD. But before that, you know, growing up in Japan, I also met that your grandparents started a company together after World War II. So what was that? And did that influence the way that you thought and were growing up? Yeah, 100%. So they started a company that makes a baby clothing. My grandpa always had this dream of like, I want to sell my product in Tokyo and in department store in Tokyo. So he had this dream and then he worked extremely hard and then he made it happen. And he has like this amazing philosophy that company exists for people, like employees. So you have to make them happy. If you make them happy, they will make a good product and that product will make the customers happy. So like that's how you contribute to the society. And whenever he gets drunk, he just keeps like talking to me that story over and over again. And that really influenced me a lot. Like, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to have a dream. and I want to achieve something like he did. So it really, really strongly influenced me. You said you always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but didn't you also since high school, I think, also want to go to the U.S.? So how did the U.S. come in together? Oh, yeah. I don't know why, but I always wanted to go to the United States. Like since high school, I think. But at the time, like, I was in the Kendo Club, which is a really restrict club. And the teacher in Kendo Club was like, oh, like, it's meaningless to go to the United States. You already got admission to like one of the best schools in Japan. Why do you have to go to America? Like you should just stay in Japan. And at the time, teacher was everything. Like that teacher is just like so big authority that I... I I was never be able to like be against. So I just couldn't say no. And I just didn't end up going to a Japanese university. But I really wanted to go to the United States for like such a long time. 
sometimes you just know where you want to go, right? There didn't have to be a particular reason. You said that you wanted to be an entrepreneur, but you ended up doing management science at Kyo University. So how did that happen? Yeah, so management science was, it's also coming from my family. My dad strongly believed that I can't do science, which I don't think it's true, but he thought that my family can't do math or science. So I just naturally went to business side of it. There are different choices like finance, management, marketing, and the only thing that I'm interested in is management. So I just naturally chose management. And so you graduated 2012, you end up working at this enterprise package solution company called Works Applications. You wrote a very extensive Medium article about this, that you joined to be on the sales team and then you end up being a software engineer, which is completely different. So how did that happen? Yeah, that was like so weird because at that time I was already like, I want to work in the States. I have no interest in Japanese company. I got a job, but then I didn't even like look at the job because I had no plan going there. But I got internship. I did an internship in San Francisco and that company wanted to hire me, but the salary was too low to live in SF. I thought, okay, maybe I can go back to Japan, work for like three months and then get something and just go back to the United States. So I didn't know anything about the company at all. And I joined and it's like really, really strange training happened. There are like 300 new graduates for this company and everyone was pushed into this same room with no internet. And then they give you assignment. There is like the paper and Java on that paper. And like, you have to figure out how to make this program work. And you can't Google anything. And that's like how this started. And I was, I was so confused. And because I'm ADC, of course I make mistakes and I can't type like, right. Everyone's like really good at like code to like computer and like that they get it right, right. But I was so confused and I don't pay attention to details. There's one character mistake that I didn't catch for like days. And that's why like I got the worst in the cohort. That's a big deal in Japan, right? Because your successes, they over measure you in terms of where you are in the batch. That's really important in Japan. Yeah. And the Japanese has this like shaming culture. They show that like which brand you are. In this room of like 300 people, everyone knows that I'm like worse too, right? They shame you on that. And like, they're like, okay, you are a kind of failure. You just can't do the work. So that really, really affected me for such a long time. And like that, my confidence really was attacked at that time. So there's several assignments and third assignments was a lot more visual. And because I'm more visual, I was able to like catch up to in the mid of the class. So I was able to graduate. When I first learning visually, I really enjoyed, wow, programming is so interesting. You can make these things, you can make calculator and like this works. And I was fascinated by the idea of like being programmer. So at the time I was like, okay, there is a chance to be sales, but I chose to go to a research and development department, which is the hardest because if, if you're going to do programmer, like you might also become the coolest programmer, right? So I wanted to go to the, the coolest department and I applied for that. Somehow I got chosen, even though the other members are like CS degree, computer science, PhD students, but I got accepted because I was the only female and they were like, oh, she came from like nowhere and like her score is actually really low, but it's interesting. Why don't we just like try? So I got in software engineering. You said that when you joined, and this is called the advanced technology engineering, that you felt as though they were talking in a language you didn't know and you landed in an alien planet. Why was that? It's... 
because they are professional of like computer science. They talk about code, which I had no idea what they're talking about, like JavaScript functions, functional programming. They talk about Lambda or whatever the word it is. It sounded all like, you know, different languages. So I was very overwhelmed. Like right after I, jo- I jumped into this room, I saw this like huge anime poster and all male. And those people are the ones that I have never talked before because I didn't go to a science major. So I was very overwhelmed. And also I'm only female. And they didn't know how to talk to women because I'm the only woman, right? So they don't look at me and they start sweating when, when they talk to me. So I was like, wow, I, I'm actually an alien in this room. That's so interesting to hear about how you felt as though they were treating you like an alien. So how did you end up deciding that it was time for you to leave work's application and to go to Lockbar? Again, like my dream of going to the United States never disappeared, right? The only reason why I stay in work's applications is because I didn't prove myself. I didn't feel right to quit when I am not doing well at work. So until I did like fairly good job in, at work, I didn't want to like quit. But this, I really want to go to the United States. I sought for a way to go to the United States through this company. But then finally realized that, okay, I don't have a CS degree and my job is engineer, which makes it extremely hard to get a visa. That's what my boss said. He's like, oh, I can try maybe like a year later, but it's a little hard because you don't have a CS degree. So then I just kind of gave up on going to the United States in that company. I started looking for other jobs that could get me to the United States. And Logbar is very interesting because I didn't even try to apply. And there's a kind of LinkedIn in Japan called Wantedly. You can press the button and say you are interested. I accidentally pressed the button of interested to the job of hardware engineer. And it was like, oh, no, 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 I, I, I want to like reset. But there's no reset button. It's just pretend that nothing happened. I also sent them message. I'm sorry, I'm not hardware engineer. I'm not going to apply. But then the, the CTO reached out to me and said, hey, like, it seems like you can speak English. You're like, you know, business major. Would you be interested in like going to the United States and doing some like marketing development in the United States? And I was like, sure, like, of course. I went to interview and they immediately hired me. At the time, they're looking for someone who can go to the United States and like do some like business development. So it went super well. So then like I decided to leave the company. You actually had never been to the States before and you ended up choosing SF because it was the closest to Japan. So what was it like first arriving in the States and trying to figure your way around? By that time, I was in SF for three months. So I knew it was what it was. So that, that's why I was like, okay, I knew, I knew SF. That's why I moved there. I didn't feel lonely much, even though I was only one. I was so excited to be in the States and I was really excited to sell this product because I really, really loved working at Logbar. The only thing that I had was like just excitement and just being able to be in the States and being able to work for the company in the States. So I felt like it was perfect and it was really exciting. It was a really exciting moment. So Nasaya of Nas Daily is the reason that you met Ben, now your partner. And also he's kind of like the mother of Krios Eddies, right? So yeah. what is the story behind that? After this interview, I really want to know like how you do that because I, oh, I really want to do that for other people. <laughs> I met Nusayer because Nusayer had meetup in Japan and my colleague went to that meetup. I actually starts even earlier. My colleague was the fan of Nusayer and she contacted him saying like, hey, can, can you make a video of our product, which is a translation device? 
And he was like, oh, that's interesting. Can you send me like three samples to like Israel? So we sent that to Israel and he got lost. We stopped the conversation from there. But then after that, Nusaya came to Japan and my colleague still didn't uh, give up. And then she went to that meetup and she was like, oh, do you remember the girl who sent you three devices? And he was like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm so sorry. Like I lost it. She talked him about the, the device and he was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm not going to make the promotion video for your product, but I'm interested in talking to your founder. And then he made the video about our founder and that went super viral. It was like 10 million views or something. It was like really, really big deal. Two years later, we decided to hire Nusire, like pay Nusire to come back and then make a video about our product and founder again. Nusire somehow thought that Ben should come and make the video together because Ben's the most interesting person and our CEO, founder, is also an interesting person. So if they meet, something happens. Yay! So like, Nusire was always last minute. We didn't know that Ben is coming until like last minute and Ben didn't know that like he's going to make you making the video. So we met, we were really confused and like we didn't talk because I tried to entertain him, but then he didn't know anything. So he was very unfriendly. So that's how we met. <laughs> well, at least that translated into something a lot better despite being unfriendly at the start. So I read that Ben was the one who also encouraged you to go and give software engineering another shot. And that's how you end up going to App Academy. So what mm -hmm. was that like? Yeah, at that time, I didn't know what to do. The company was failing at the time. And I actually did vegan sushi startup for like six months. And I was really passionate about it. Like I made sushi, I made own recipe, and I did the catering to like plant-based food conference. It was fun, but then it wasn't working well either. So I was trying to figure out what's, what's next and took data science course. But that also didn't feel right. I still remember on the way coming back from Berkeley to SF, we were talking about like what to do next. And I was like, I'm pretty lost. I don't know what to do. He was like, you can maybe try doing programming. I was like, no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm really not good at programming. I'm not doing it. But then he was like, I know that you don't have confidence. If you try again and if it actually works, you are going to gain your confidence, right? You're not going to lose anything. So why don't you just try and you have time, right? So I decided to give a shot and it's really thanks to him. And was it a lot easier for you? Why was that? Why was it so different from your first experience? I give all the credit to AppGuardMe, to be honest, because they did a fantastic job of making the curriculum so well. The experience before also helped. You know, I know very basic level, like variables and loops and so on. So it was like easy to... Yeah, really biggest difference is like it's step by step and it really follows the theory of mastery learning that you have to master things to go to the next step. Otherwise, if you're lost in the previous step, you are not going to understand the next step. And also the best thing that happened to me is I didn't go to App Academy in cohort. So I could take as much time as possible for me to like move forward. And I think if I would have gone to cohort in-person App Academy course, I definitely would have held because I probably wouldn't spend enough time. And I also feel so bad about myself comparing myself with others. But because I was doing by myself online, it felt a lot more like doable and I could spend as much time as possible. And like going step by step really, really helped me to like understand deeply about web development. That was the biggest difference. And after that, you end up and still are the senior software engineer at Gusto. So what was it like working now full-time as a software engineer when you felt like you had no confidence from your previous job? It was so scary. Since the beginning, I'm like, people are going to find out that I'm actually fake. 
I was just constantly afraid that people are going to find out. So it has been a really, really scary experience like since day one. And that's why I worked so much to impress them. So like I really tried to look for the ticket before someone assigns and like really like look for information. And by the time that they assign ticket, I'm already done with it so I can impress them. At the beginning, it was really hard. But good thing about Gasto is they are extremely kind and supportive. They gave me enough time and really, really good onboarding buddy, Sam, who is like fantastic human being. I was able to like ask him questions and I was able to take time to actually onboard. Over time, like me doing a little work beforehand, plus the help from company, I started feeling a little better about this imposter syndrome. You were also turning your Slack status off by five, right? And it all worked <laughs> out because you're ranked the top 5% of the engineers in the company. So suffice to say, you have confidence back now in your role as software engineer. I actually still don't because after I got promoted, I got shingles. If you had chicken box, like when you're a child, it will come back when you're old or stressed. Shingles happen when you're like 60 years old or 70 years old. But it happened to me because my immune system got so weak because I was so stressed that like I'm not qualified to be this L4, like senior engineer. Again, like imposter syndrome came back. The reason why I got promoted was because I was able to write code, but mostly because my leadership skill, my interpersonal skill, leadership skill was like a lot higher than others. But other skills are like definitely like lower than other people, right? Code engineering, engineering perspective, I don't think I'm like that qualified. Being able to become self-engineer and also being able to like become L4 engineer has significantly helped my confidence. Yeah. Thank you so much for being so open about this because most people would just say, yeah, I am so confident right now and I have no regrets doing this. And it's just an upward trajectory from that on. So it is so nice to hear the reality that it's not a magic pill and everything just becomes better. So that suffices to say that it's sort of like your web two phase of your life. And this was the Web3 phase. It all started in 2018 when Ben was the one who got you into this whole Web3 space. So how did it happen? So he loves deals and he found this interesting deal that I, I forgot what that is. And he was like, oh, like, why don't you just put like a little bit like money in that? We'll get the like $1,000 Bitcoin. I, I didn't know much about crypto, so I was very like skeptical. I, I, I love cash. I'm fine. But he kind of like get me to, into it. After that, I was like, okay, maybe I can just put $10,000. It doesn't hurt. So I put $10,000 in Bitcoin and I completely forgot about it for like, I don't know, I don't know, a year. By the time I saw it, I was like, oh, it's, it's actually going up. So I started being like a little more interested in. And then once I started learning about it and once I started learning about Ethereum, I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting. Once I joined Gusto, I have more disposable income. So I started investing like 80% of my income to crypto every month. Why do you think that Ethereum was so interesting? So after I started understanding Ethereum, I started reading about Ethereum.org, the official website. This Ethereum ecosystem really allows you to do like so many different things. It has NFT section, it has DAO section, it has a stablecoin DeFi section. And being able to do those things and enabling developers to create an app in the centralized world seems very, very interesting to me. That's quite different from Bitcoin. So that got me very interested in Ethereum a lot more than Bitcoin because I'm a developer. I understand how important it is to have good developer ecosystem. And they did have that. So that, that was something that got me really interested. 
And it was in the early in those days where you also met Zeneca of Zen Academy and you helped him with his smart contract for his $5 million NFT project. Firstly, how do you first connect with him and end up helping him? Yeah, so it was like tourist serendipitous. Zeneca was opening up the application for like just two days. Ben was browsing Twitter and he was like, oh, this is Zeneca 33. And we knew about Zeneca from his Substack because we read about his art block article. So he has like very, very deep insights on NFT and he was doing that. So Ben applied and then we decided to have a call with Zeneca. And then Zeneca really liked our mission. So we started working together. And then he was casually talking about, oh, I'm also thinking of doing NFT drop. He was taking quotes from other development company. And the quote was like 15% to 25%. That's ridiculous. You really shouldn't do that. And so I can do front end and can do smart contracts. So we decided that we just like offer him that he's paying those money to like those people. We just copy that code anyway. So we might as, as well just like do it for you. And that's how it happened. How did both you and Ben decided that you wanted to start your own education program, which I believe was supposed to be a Tamagotchi? Yeah. Ben always wanted to do something in crypto and I wanted to do something impactful which is education. And so we wanted to do something around crypto education. My other passion is cute things. And I love cute things. I love stuffed animals. Uh, and I lo love drawing. I love drawing penguins. We constantly talked about making cute things. Because I grew up in manga culture, I don't remember anything that I learned in school. All I remember is manga that I read about Chinese history because I, I love Chinese history. I remember everything because I read manga and I remember character face. I always had this strong belief that something that's visual and like memorable and cute are going to help education. So I wanted to put the cute component to education. Then like we started to think about this Tamagotchi idea that if you learn, then Tamagotchi started growing. And we had this idea, but at the time we weren't really sure. We started working on it, but I was still really busy at Gasto and it wasn't really moving forward. But once we saw this Pudgy Penguin uh, news and NFT is something like that's coming, we started like really learning about NFTs. First, I was like, this Pudgy Penguin thing is like really scammy. Why they sold this penguin for like $1 million? But once I started reading about NFT canons, which is like learning resources by Andreas and Horowitz, it really started having a really big conviction to NFTs that, wow, Everything in the world is going to be NFTs. All social media, like good, good credentials and like uh, diploma, like real estate. Everything could be NFTs and all the economy could go around NFTs. Since then, we started being really interested in NFTs. After seeing Pudgy Penguin, I was like, wow, if I can make NFT projects by making cute things, I want to do it. So we started like rethinking really about making NFTs. So that's how we started an NFT project with the education concept. For those who haven't read what A16Z wrote, what was it at a high level that got you excited and convinced that NFTs is going to be everywhere? What were they saying? I think the biggest thing that I remember was an NFT feed that you have is going to be your social media. There are different information that like kind of convinced me at the time. But the biggest thing that I remember was this feed. Right now, it just shows a PFP project, but it's going to be your life. It's going to show your life university diploma or your trophy or the band that you like or the picture you take with your friends. So it really is going to show your life. 
And there hasn't been a way that people can show off their lives. For example, like if you have diploma or certificate, those are always hidden, right? And for example, I invested in a coal company, for example. So like in a doctor's show diploma, right? People want to show off those things, but there hasn't been a way that they can show off publicly online, but they were able to do so by using like this NFT. And that really made me feel like, wow, if that's true, then all the things that we want to show, all the things that we are going to have in lives are going to be converted into NFTs. So that really got me interested in the concept. But there are many more things like creative economies, how to connect with fans and so on. So there are different aspects, but I think that social media aspect was the one showing me that, wow, this is going to change the world. You said before you thought NFTs was the best way to bootstrap a community. Why did you say that? I started noticing really the sense of community, right? That's also coming from Anderson Horowitz NFT canon, but it's the best way for artists to connect with like fan base, right? So artists can make a community of people who really believe in you and they can create NFTs and fans can buy NFTs in support. So that community aspect can be applied to different things and that can be applied to like different missions. Artist's mission is going to deliver beautiful art or beautiful music, but our mission is going to give educational platform to like all the people who want to get into the space. And those people who align that mission are going to create by NFTs. This community can collectively solve this problem and like work on this course because they hold NFTs and they are in the community. So they are more incentivized to push this mission towards the world together with founders. That's why like, I think NFT really is the best community bootstrapping tool. And it has proven that this has been the best community building tool. So we've talked about the community expert. We've talked about the fact that both of you were passionate about starting some kind of education program that was cute and also educational. How did that all coalesce into starting Curious Eddie's Trading Club? What's the vision behind it? The vision was education, cute, NFT. From the beginning, we were like, okay, that it's going to be educational NFT project. And we are going to target the people who don't know about crypto. That part, since the beginning, was so clear to us. He loves crypto. I love education. I love cute things. So combining them together has been like really core. Curious at this concept. It's funny story. We live in Las Vegas, but then we wanted to really focus on the project. Because we have like many friends in Las Vegas, we wanted to stay away and we wanted to be alone and we wanted to start, you know, project by ourselves. So we decided to relocate to Denver. And on the way, this like long drive, we started like really brainstorming. We want to start educational NFT projects. So what's the concept? What's the name? What's the character? That was a time that I actually learned that I was at ADHD. And that was a really transformational time. I really started like understanding my life, why I'm this way. So it felt really, really strong. And all we talked about at the time was ADHD. So we were like, okay, we should use this like concept of ADHD because like we really care about it. And then I was like, oh, why don't we do Addy like from ADHD? And you're like, oh, that, that sounds cute. And I think Curious came from like just, you know, Curiosity. I don't remember which one came first, but on the driveway, we just like decided that, okay, curious at least. And then we also had the idea of a trading club during that drive. Like what would be the most helpful? What really helped people to learn about crypto? I have this stuffed animal called Kerochi. Kerochi is like really stuffed frog that he always tried to steal money from Ben. For example, I would just play around with this frog. And at the time, like 
Karachi was trying to like, you know, scam Ben by like, hey, Ben, like give me like a hundred thousand dollars so that I can invest in like some fund and like uh, I can make money grow. And so Karachi says that. And Ben was like, oh, Karachi, like you should actually like prove that you can actually do a good job in trading. And Karachi was like, hmm, like how do I do that? And Ben was like, I don't have money. And Ben was like, okay, there's like simulation trading. So why don't you like play with that and show your skills? So we talked, had that conversation like a day before. And I was like, that's actually a good idea. And like, why don't we just like do that? So then like that trading club actually came from that idea. And what about the octopus? Who's your mascot? How did the octopus feature into this? We got the Cyclopedia and think about what will be the best animals. That was after QS Addis. We didn't know we were going to go with octopus. We just knew the QS Addis name. And then we just like go over and like, oh, like parrot is cute or like otter is cute. We just go over and then we just like found this octopus page and was like, wow, like curious, Alice, like boom, octopus, this is it. So like it was just really easy. Plus like octopus is Ben's favorite animal. So it was easy to decide that like, okay, curious, Alice, octopus is the most curious animal. So this is great. So that was how we chose, but then we still wasn't sure if we should go with octopus because octopus is not cute. It was like, I, I don't know how to make this thing cute. Ben told me. We love watching anime and we remember one character from Hunter x Hunter, Icargo, and he's the octopus. He's extremely cute. So I was like, oh, why don't we make it just like Icargo and it's, it's going to be like really cute. Okay, we can make octopus cute. All set. Let's go with octopus. I was listening to one of the episodes you did for your interview with an octopus expert and I learned interesting <laughs> things like intestines wrap right around its brain and also there are so many different types of octopuses. I thought it was funny that quite a lot of people were saying that after I learned about octopuses and after joining Curious Eddie, they stopped eating octopuses. It was just like that. Yeah, yeah. I can't eat takoyaki anymore. I don't miss it. So I'm, I'm not eating. <laughs> what is the elevator pitch for Curious Eddie's? It's a one-stop place for anyone who wants to learn about Web3. And we are going to teach everything about Web3 so that you feel more comfortable coming into the space by building a product and community that you can learn from. And what were the early days like of building Curious Eddies? How long was it from deciding you wanted to do Curious Eddies to actually launching it? I quit September 22nd. So that was a start date. And we launched November 10th. So it's around like 1.5 months. It was very, very fast. We found artists and we started working. It's still like nostalgic that we found Anna and we started thinking about concepts, shaping octopus, you know, different ideas. We put the Pinterest board to understand and I made all the expressions and Anna put the expressions. It was really, really fun experience. I don't have skill to make an art, but I say, can you make the eyes a little bit closer so that it looks a little more, a little more therapy and cute. There are so many discussions around how to make it cute and how to make it more approachable because in order to make crypto more accessible, I really wanted this character to be so approachable and welcoming and cute. So that was the art part. And the community part is also really fun. It started from like, there is zero. And people started coming from like our Facebook posts, Ben's NFT 101s. And then we started like having a little bit more people. Then we started getting to know Zeneca and Zeneca brought so many people. We wanted to actually make a manga of how we grow the community because I really felt like it's a One Piece series that like you start like getting more people on your ship. Brad, more, more, like, you know, our community manager come in, person manager come in, and Luke came in and like other like evangelists. I think Lily also was speaking, right? Lily came in 
all these amazing people came on board on our ship and started making these curiosities. So it's this community of like, you know, we keep meeting like such amazing people, all that bunch of this that we met. It's just like, I just don't know how they came. They still are in our community and they're so like wonderful people. So like just keep meeting like those people like keep coming in and like helping our community has been so, so meaningful experience. I love your story of how these different people are coming, you know, the evangelists, people you help, like Zeneca, he then comes in and helps you again. How were you finding the right people to build your team? Because that's the most important thing, right? Like Anna, for instance, she was in the crypto space for quite a while. She does amazing art. And you have a 19-year-old engineer who's been coding since she was nine years old. How were you finding these people? I think we got really lucky. I contacted like 10 people and Anna was one of the person who responded. Immediately after we started chatting, you know that like this person is like a good person. Like we were coming from like very good intention. So Anna just gave me that vibe of like, she really doesn't care about making profit, making money, those things. She's just like sincerely loves art. After like talking to her a couple of times, it was so clear that she is so passionate. I think passion for the project really matters a lot. For example, Brad and Momo, like I really, really appreciate them because they are the reason why good people start coming in. They are just so passionate and they work so hard to build this community. I don't know how they come, but, but like, they, they love the mission and they come. So I think as long as you have a good mission and you're like very sincere and it's clear, then the people are going to come and start helping us. So you have all these values, this mission. How do you think about maintaining that as your community grows? Because you have so many people now, tens of thousands. Yeah. It got a little harder when we had some rush, like coming people coming in for like, you know, a lot of pre-sellists and like other influencers. But it's definitely harder. Core contributors have same values and mission and stay long. For example, like the people who still are in the community are the ones believing that mission and only those people stay. Now we are not growing so much because we're not put so much focus on NFT and we are more focused on project product. Our goal is make this more available for the community so that community can like start getting benefits from it. When we grew to 3,000, I felt that like the vibe is becoming a little different, but still the people who actually care about the project and the people who talk a lot are the ones who actually understand the value. And like those people are the ones who make the atmosphere like really good. At the end, even though community grows, the only people who actually stay and like, be active are the ones who are genuinely sincere. So if I'm listening to this and I'm joining Curious Eddie's Discord channel for the first time, what can I expect? How do I get plugged in? Because a Discord channel is overwhelming. There's so many sub-channels, hundreds mm-hmm. of messages. If you don't check it for an hour, how do I start? First of all, I, I hate general channel. I don't keep up with it. It's just too overwhelming. So just find, for example, like a lot of women love women in crypto channel and they feel so safe and they feel so welcome to the community. Because if you say, hey, like I'm, I'm new to crypto, I'm here and I'm here to learn. So many like female community members are like, welcome to the community and welcome to crypto world. Like ask me anything and they share the experience and they share the knowledges. So go like find the channel or I find the like, you know, subset of people who you vibe with and then like just hang out with them. I think that's the best way to start. Find the channel that you vibe with and start talking to them. 
before we talk about the products and you have very many interesting ones, I want to talk about, again, the launch itself. During the launch in the smart contract itself, one interesting feature is that you had this 100% refund policy, which was just four lines of code. And I wonder how that thought of offering a 100% refund came about. And did anyone actually refund? They did, yeah. The idea came because we wanted to make it more accessible. The way we can do is like we, they could sell, but like selling is hard. So the easiest way for people to buy is refund. And if we actually have refund functionality in our smart contract, all they have to do is come to our site and like easy refund. And that's the easiest way. Ben did a little bit of research and it was just extremely easy. So I was like, why don't we just do it? Why did you choose to release 5,000 initially? And what's the plan after that? We were thinking of doing like 10,000, but at the time, the price of the ETH and gas was too high. So the NFT market was kind of really, really bad. So we decided to go with 5,000 and release later 5,000. That is to be determined by community. Our smart contract can have 10,000, so 5,000 left. So we're still like figuring out when we should do that and how we do that. And if we do that, we really want to do in a way that we give back to the community because I really appreciate for the community. How were you promoting Curious Eddies? Because you end up selling out your 5,000. Mm-hmm. Apart from Brett and everyone else, bringing a community together, were there other things that you were doing? Actually, the biggest thing was Seneca because he just brought a lot of people. He, we were the first project that he decided to like talk about in his Discord. So when he talked about Discord, like there's a huge rush to our community. That helped a lot. But what we did that was most helpful was Twitter thread. We talked about four things. Why we did, what's refund policy and why we're doing refund policy. And why we're doing education. And why education matters in this space. Why do we care about diversity and inclusion in this space. What kind of community we want to create. Like we want to treat the community members as family. So those values really resonated people who have the same value. This didn't like bring like so many people, it was, it was shared like so many times, it was shared a hundred times, but still this was meaningful because the people who came through the Twitter threads are the right people who actually understand and stay and like be aligned with our, our mission. The most helpful thing for the launch to have right members. I want to talk about partnerships and how you build certain partnerships. Like for instance, NAS Academy, they have classes that are very clearly linked to you. How did all these things come about? Yeah, NAS Academy, it was after we launched. So because we were posting about NFTs, Nasaya reached out to us saying like, oh, I'm actually interested in like doing some courses in NFTs and you guys should be the first one. We flew to LA, met Nasaya. We didn't know what Nasaya was doing at the time. We vaguely knew about NAS Academy, but we didn't know about like what exactly they're doing. But then like we really bonded over that learning has to be in the community and help each other to learn. And that is the best way to learn. What we are doing in Curiosity, they're doing NAS Academy. The way we do are completely the same. So we're like, wow, NAS Academy is a really amazing platform. So why don't we just partner? They're professional for videos. Why don't we make the course together? And that happened. And so let's talk about the products that you have on the Curiosity. So you have many of them. What are they? The reason why we have many of them, because we had a lot of iterations. The main two things that we wanted to build first was interactive tutorial that will walk you through minting process, mainly focused on NFTs. And two is a trading platform, which actually was the main thing that we were going to build. People really liked 
especially the interactive tutorial. We have the amazing engineer called Jake and he just built there in like two weeks and did such an amazing job. But I actually don't feel like using it. I felt like the concept could have been a little bit wrong. Maybe because I already am in the space, maybe, maybe not. But I felt a little bit kind of neutral about that experience. And while we are like working on that, because we had three engineers and we, the two of us are engineers, we have five engineers. So at the time, each engineer was working on very different product. Lou was working on portfolio tracker and Jake was working on this training platform. And I was working on an interactive tutorial. And we hired one person who is really good, Orlando, who is really good at Discord. And at the time, we wanted to bring more people back to Discord. So we were like, why don't we create this Discord QA bot? Anyone can ask questions and people can answer. And then we saw like huge success. A lot of people were asking questions. That was the time that our NAS Academy course started. So they come in and they start asking all the questions. We were like, wow, this is working. All engineers are working on different things. So we just decided to focus on one product and start building Ember.help. And we launched the product initially, actually. So what is Ember? Because Ember, you are going to make it the Quora for Web3, right? So what does it look like? What can people expect? As you mentioned, it's Quora for Web3. So anyone who has questions about Web3 can ask questions and you are guaranteed to get answers from experts. So... There are three things that we really want to differentiate from other platforms. We were thinking why people don't want to ask questions online, right? If you go to like a full answer and if you ask questions, we have bad experience. And like, what is bad experience? One, usually you don't get answers. And two, you don't know when you're going to get answers. Three, you don't know who are answering the question. Are they trustful enough to like trust the answers? So we want to solve those three problems. We want to make sure that we will guarantee answers by programming in a way that if you don't get the answers, it will ping the experts again so that you'll get answer. And two, you are guaranteed answer within like X hours. And we set this, you know, metric to make the length as short as possible. So right now it's about 24 hours, but we always showed how many hours it will take on average, so that people would have expectation that, hey, okay, if I wait for 24 hours, I'll at least get answered. And three, answered by trusted experts. So this part, we have a lot of experts in the community. It could be Ben, it could be different community members, it could be me. So those people are going to come in and answer questions. So you are guaranteed to have trusted answers. So Amberdo Help really helps people to get good guaranteed answers within a certain amount of time experts. That's the biggest selling point. Are you going to gamify this process and make it like a play to earn thing? So if I ask or if I answer, I get certain points and I can exchange for tokens for something else. Is that the plan? Exactly, exactly. So we have already had pointing system from QA bot. So we are transferring the points to our main product. But as you mentioned, the people who help others should be rewarded, right? So the people who answer questions, once their answers get upvoted, then they can start earning the points. And eventually we are going to drop some tokens and NFTs. That's going to be up in the air still because we have to spend a lot of time thinking about it, but that's going to be the next plan. And you mentioned briefly the NFT portfolio tracker. What is that? It's basically the portfolio tracker that you can track all your NFTs gained and lost. So if you connect your wallet, it will read all the information about your NFTs you have and it will display in this project, for example, World of Woman, you have like this percentage of gain and this loss. 
but you can see the gains and loss. And also you can see your floor price and the purchase price and all the user information. I want to create because we want to give value to the community. What kind of value we can give and our strengths really is enduring. So we decided to build a tool and one of the most popular tools was portfolio tracker. So this 90 years old, uh, Lou Blad, she is a director of engineering. She built this portfolio tracker by herself and released it. And you also have this game for people to learn how to mint and also buy and sell their own NFT for the first time for OpenSea. I was actually playing with it and it's so, oh. so good. So what's the idea behind it? Because you also have lessons coming up as well that haven't been released yet. Yeah, that's an interactive tutorial. If you go to curious.xyz, you can see the platform. The best way to learn really is to actually do it. A lot of people try to read, but it's hard, right? Until you actually like set up MetaMask, you don't understand. So we wanted to create a safe, safe space where anyone can come in and learn about the process. You don't even have to have crypto. We thought of teaching them to buy crypto. But then like, we will exclude a lot of people, right? Kids or people who don't have funds, those people can't play and can't learn, which is excluding a lot of like, population. We wanted to make as inclusive and accessible as possible. And during the process, you can set up your wallet and we are going to airdrop a little bit amount of Matic, which is the native currency for Polygon, which is a lot cheaper. And at the end of the tutorial, you can mint your first NFT, which is like, they're a really cute turtle. So that's the, the process that we offer. And ideally, we are going to create more and more experience. Now we have minting NFTs, setting mine NFTs. Eventually, we want to get started with Discord, how to create DAOs, how do I join DAOs, and like different topics and different experience to learn about different topics. I was very impressed and I couldn't believe it when I looked at my wallet and I did see Matic in there. I thought, oh, wow, they actually gave me <laughs> Matic yeah. to go through this process. That's really exciting. With all these products that you have on, all these things that you continue to build out, is there anything more we can expect from Curious Addies? At the moment, I think the main thing that you get from Curious Addies is you get to access to all the product. And the NASA Academy course that we talked about, if you own Curious Addies, you, you're going to get those three courses for free. How to master NFTs, intro to crypto, and how to get started with Web3 development. So those are things that are coming. And there are a lot of people who want to start an NFT project, but the dev is really expensive and not a lot of people have experience for that. So we want to start something that helps development for those NFT projects. As you said, your strength is in development. So do you have any advice just in terms of what to look out for in a smart contract? Because that's the most important thing, right? You will need to know exactly what you are getting. And the terms are always different for every smart contract. I really want to encourage everyone to read smart contract because it's just 200 lines of code. When I was reading it, I was thinking, oh, this is like reading a legal contract because I'm a lawyer and you have the standard <laughs> terms. So for <laughs> us, it's terms, but for you, it's function and it you have little notes from developers as well with smiley faces and you can find it if you read a smart contract. Yeah, that's exactly right because smart contract, it's a contract. <laughs> I think legal documents is a lot harder to read than smart contract. But yeah, like exactly that. Like legal documents is something that you can read. You, if you try to really read, you can read and you have to like look up a little bit like legal terms. But like once you understand the terms, you can understand. And a smart contract is the same thing. You can at least read. And the good thing about this uh, smart contract is legal documents, you see some examples, but you actually don't see 
the real life example, right? It's kind of hidden. Yeah, but you don't know how it will actually happen if you bring it to court until it goes to court. Yeah, yeah. But smart contract is completely open. So if you want to learn how like Border Yap Club writes smart contract, you can go ahead and read that. Crypto Coven, Mill Angels, like Curious Addis, all the smart contracts are available. So if you start reading different contracts, you can actually understand what are the functionalities that you need. And a lot of the smart contract, a lot of the like scams are happening when if you look at the smart contract, they do like, for example, the mint. If you look at the mint, they do a completely different thing, right? Like fund transfer and stuff. If you know how the mint functionality should look, which usually is are the, like exactly the same, it's just like calling the mint. There are some like checking parts, but like most of the time, like you have to call safe mint or mint, but other bad smart contracts just don't have that. So just understanding the really five smart contracts will get you like understand what the correct smart contract is and like get you kind of prepared for identifying with bad contracts. So that's what I would recommend. What is your favorite NFT in your wallet right now, apart from Curious Eddies? Definitely World War Woman. Do you get the Galaxy one or the original? The original one. I went to the NFC Basel and I met Yam because Randy interviewed Yam and me on the same show. I got to meet Yam and she was just such an amazing person. After I met her, I was like, I really, really want to support this project. And I asked her like, hey, can you like which world woman I should get? And she was like, oh, buy one that resonates with you. Don't go for reality. I would like you to like buy something that actually resonates with you because she's an artist and she wants people to actually enjoy the art. So I went into the open sea and found the one that looks exactly like me, like these earrings and black hair and like little distracted, lit cheek. And I was like, well, this is it. And after I bought that, this is actually the highest amount I, I paid for NFT. And then I just felt so good that, wow, I'm in the movement of World War Woman and I'm the member of this amazing community. That was a time that I feel like I finally get why people spend a lot of money in NFTs, to be honest. This sense of community, sense of belongings, that this is it. I just want to follow the poll forever because it just has such a like special space in my mind. And what do you believe in that most people don't in the crypto space? I was going to say the quality of people because I was surprised at like how when I was not full-time, I wasn't really interacting with people in the space. And after, after I joined the space, I was like, wow, the quality of people are like, people are just so kind and helpful and like really giving. And what do you think has been the biggest mistake that you've done in the Web3 world that people can learn from? Yeah, biggest mistake is not doing research. There's one experience. I wanted to have some NFTs to display my virtual museum. I went to like really cheap blockchain marketplace and start buying things. And then there's like DJZ. He had this beautiful art. I was convinced, wow, it may be dead. It didn't cost much. I started like buying a lot. After that, I realized that like it was copy from the actual NFT that they made in different platform. I thought that this platform is, there are a lot of like rising artists that maybe is just trying out and they just like having fun. I spent five minutes looking up. So yeah, always researching before I take action. Do you have any tips on how to spot this kind of scams? Because so many of them are out there. It's like crypto chicks as well. So when I was speaking to Lily, they had now actually invested in some crypto chicks. And then it came out that it was actually a copy from the original artist. So mm -hmm. it's everywhere. How do you make sure that you've got the right one and you're actually supporting the artist? 
Yeah, that's actually really, really hard because those information are like completely hidden. That information is a little hard to identify. I think one way is I look at the artist. For example, Meta Angel's artist Sarana has already did the NFT collection before. So she's already credible for that. So that's one way you can look up what the artist is and who the artist is. And you can look up the creativity of artists. That's maybe one of them. Identifying scam is basically spend a little time in Discord. If you have a little red flag of the community, just don't go for it. I would say invest only the community that you're completely sure is good. It could be a founder background. It could be the community vibe. It could be like the quality of artist. I would look at all the different aspects. And if there's anything that you feel like is wrong, I wouldn't invest. And what is something that a competitor is doing that you admire and why? I was just looking at the build space. It's not quite competitor because they're like targeting developers and they did such an amazing job educating people. I reached out to founder of build space, Parza, and asked him to do Twitter space. And he was like, oh, I actually don't do Twitter space because I'm like focusing on my product. And at that time I was like, okay, sure. That's one way of doing it. Now that I see build space doing amazing job. They grow to 50,000 users already within a year and they only have three like team members. It's so impressive. He chose what's important for him and went for it and it really worked for them. I have a question from Xiaokui who actually follows this podcast and she wanted to ask what are the potential changes that you're anticipating to yourself and the NFT space when the migration to ETH 2.0 happens? The biggest change is going to be a proof of work, proof of stake. Every time I talk about it, people bring up environment effect. Right now, this is a really damaging environment, but proof of stake is going to come. Don't worry. But now I can totally say that proof of stake is actually here. So that narrative change really is going to convince all people. There are so many people, especially artists, who are like very hesitant to come into the space because of this environment effect. Another change is just because of the still pressure is going to go away. The yeast price will go up. I'm still not sure how this is going to affect NFT price. Sometimes it's hard to predict because the NFT price will look much higher in fiat, right? If the yeast price goes up. So some people might be interested to buy more. So I don't know about like how that impacts NFT, but it's certainly going to be impacted somehow. And I'm curious to see how it changes. Most of my assets are Ethereum. I'm just hoping that the price will go up. A lot. <laughs> Do you feel, because even right now, there are so many high drop projects and it just feels as though it's a land grab now. And obviously with ETH2, probably even more going to come. Is it possible for people to still succeed with a high drop? And if so, what would allow them to stand up from everyone else who's trying to basically shield their projects? It's hard to say, but it's getting a lot harder for sure. Everyone's like launching, right? And if that trend get accelerated with is 2.0, I really think it's going to be extremely difficult to stand out, especially it's already like Wild West and hyped. People who are able to make $2 million with two months of work, it's definitely hype, right? So this trend, it's definitely going to die and it's going to be hard to like raise funds from NFT project. It's just like startup, right? Now it's really hard to succeed as a startup, but maybe it was not hard when no many startups are there. So in order to succeed, you have to be very, very exceptional. And we are lucky that we 
started early, so the computer wasn't there much. But you really have to be a mission-driven, differentiated art, innovation in dev, and making spur of community. Well, thank you so much, Mai, for your time. I normally love to end all of my interviews with the same question. So the first one is this. Do you feel like you have found your why? I think I found my why. I, I feel like I want to know why I'm here and like what I want to accomplish and what kind of impact that I want to leave. But I'm not sure like that's what the earth wants. But at least I believe that I should leave in the world is clear to me. Yeah. And what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? The legacy that I want to leave behind is anyone can succeed with hard work and dream. I really like to tell my story of failures because I really want to tell people that I came from nowhere. I'm not like smart. I'm just normal Japanese girl who grew up in like countryside, right? And if I can be Silicon Valley engineer, you can do it. If I can start with three project, you can do it. What I want to be remembered for is like just normal person who worked really hard and like had a dream and that dream is coming true. I still am not nearly as successful as I, I want to be. So I want to be able to say this in the future. The higher I go, the more people will believe that, okay, I can go to here. And that's why I want to keep going up so that that will encourage more women, more immigrants, AHG people that they can do it. And what do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? I think the resilience. I usually think about adversity, being like women, being immigrants, being ADHD, being not technical. The more you overcome those adversities, you become strong. But in order to do so, you have to be ex extremely resilient. And the entrepreneur that I respect the most is Jack Ma, because no one expected that he did something amazing, right? He failed so many times, but he was so resilient. He never gave up. He believed that he can do it and he did it. It's not smart. It's not intelligence. You really believe in yourself and keep challenging yourself. And where can people go to find out more about what you are doing, what Curious Addy is doing? Two things I want to kind of promote. One is CuriousAddies.com. So if you are interested in NFT project, go to CuriousAddies. Curious is a curiosity, Curious, and Addies is A-D-D-Y-S.com. But what we want to tell people about is Umber.help, E-M-B-E-R.help. And if you have any questions about Web3, go to Umber.help and we'll answer any questions you have. So those two are the way that you can find us. If you want to find me, my own chain, my underscore on underscore chain, and that's how you find me. And I'll put all those links in the show notes so people can find it easily. Is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't covered so far? I just want to say you are an amazing host and I really, really enjoyed talking with you. And I think it's extremely impressive that you did such an in-depth research. I really hope this podcast will grow because this is such an amazing podcast to be. And that was the end of episode 81. The show notes and transcript can be found at sodismywife.com forward slash 81. And if you're looking to support this podcast in any way, there is a Patreon page that you can access at patreon.com forward slash so this is my why. Every little bit would help this podcast to grow. And stick around for next Sunday because we will be meeting our first Web3 lawyer. We will be talking about all things well, law, NFTs, and DAOs. So don't forget to subscribe and see you next Sunday.